Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. discipleship and then this week we're going to start and we'll go all the way through until we do our Christmas series working through the book of James together. Uh, usually we intentionally do this in the, in the fall and we've got the opportunity. I know most of our small groups are going to be walking through this book with us and so hopefully uh, you're connected to one and so this morning can kind of be that opportunity where we can dive in and begin to have a conversation, begin to think about some of those things and then tonight as your small group can get gather together and dive into that uh, that you can go through. Also want to throw this out there. We've got our Right Now Media account that's there, and we are following the outline um, that is used in the James study uh, by Francis Chan through that. So even on your personal time, if you want to go through in your personal life and walk through that, I would encourage you uh, to do that with us. I, I want to throw out an opportunity to, to allow you guys to, to pray. Um, for me and, and for a team that's going to be leaving here uh, actually next Sunday. So what's going to happen next Sunday is I'm going to come and I'm going to preach, uh, say amen, grab some lunch, and then head to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and Atlanta, Georgia, catch a flight that is going to get us uh, almost two days later uh, to India. Um, and so we're excited about this opportunity. I got invited uh, to come back to India uh, to partake in a Bible college's uh, graduation, which will be the first graduation that this Bible college has been able to have since uh, COVID. And so we're going to be doing a pastor's conference, uh, Bible college graduation. We'll be working with uh, these Indian church planners who will be graduating and these pastors who are coming off the field for a time of rest and then going back out onto the field uh, where there is, is India is not like it is here. Um, as we even talk about persecution uh, this morning in the church, uh, they are experiencing more of what the church at Acts experienced and maybe a little less of the convenience that you and I have the opportunity uh, to, to, to be a part of here in the United States. So I just want to encourage you um, to, to pray for me, pray for the team. There's a couple of guys from here, a couple of pastors uh, from other churches that we're going to be going and just have an opportunity, kind of twofold, uh, to, to, to be a part of this, uh, of this with this Bible college, but then also to have the opportunity to see uh, other ministry opportunities that the Lord may provide for us as a congregation to be a part of in the future. Um, so pray for that as, as we're going to do that. But then also, man, pray for these pastors and their wives that are going to be coming back for this, uh, for this conference and for this time. Uh, last time I was there, you hear story after story of what it means for these pastors to, to sometimes to be uh, arrested, to face persecution. I actually literally had a conversation with a pastor uh, that was there and last time I was there. And, and two years before, he was brought out, drug out of his church, and uh, they were going to kill him. And they brought him out into the middle of the village and they began to pour gasoline all over him. And after they poured gasoline all over him, they brought out a lighter to set him on fire. And he said, in a way that only is the answer of God, the, the lighter would not light. Would not light. And so they told him that his life was spared, but to never come back to this village to preach the gospel again. And one week later, he showed back up to his church and open God's word and proclaim the truth of the gospel, right? And so 
to realize and to know that that's what these men and women face. Just want to encourage us to continue to, to lift them up in prayer. So let's go to God before we dive into James this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for the wonderful privilege and opportunity it is, for Lord, for us to gather in here today, or to open your word, Lord, and, and to be taught by your spirit, Lord, the truth of Scripture. Lord, I pray for all the men and women of faith all over the world this morning who, who woke up and went to church with a fear that was set in them, but also a confidence that comes from you. Or they don't know what persecution they may face as a result of simply going to church this morning, but they will not let it deter them from being where you've called them to be and to do what you've called them to do. Lord, I pray for them and their boldness. Lord, I pray for their protection. Lord, I pray for an increase in faith in their life. And then, Lord, for us, Lord, may it remind us, may it convict us, may it encourage us of what it means to live boldly for Christ. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you died on the cross, that you saved us from our sins, that you were resurrected, and in you, and in you alone, we find life. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So let's dive in. We're going to read uh, James 1, starting in verse 1, and going through verse 12 this morning. It starts, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. For six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because, of a, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So a little bit of information about James as we get into this, in this, this book, the letter of James. So the letter of James is, is written by James, not to James, right? Sometimes we can see that in Scripture. First Peter, Second Peter, written by Peter, where First Timothy, Second Timothy are written by Paul. But this is a letter written by James. He identifies himself, and James is the half brother of Jesus, the natural son of Joseph and of Mary. So, like, we could take a whole nother dive on that, right? Like, like what it would mean. I mean, can you imagine, right? I, I've said this before, like. Like, 
if there's more than one kid in the family, there's always that kid, right? I was that kid, and that's not always a positive that kid statement, right? Like, just imagine, like, you're Jesus's brother, right? Like, could create some, some moments for you growing up. And this is what we see in, in, in James. This is the half-brother of Jesus. And, and James would end up becoming one of the early church leaders in Jerusalem, all right? You can read about him in Acts chapter 15 in a council that's there in the Jerusalem council where James speaks. That is the James that writes this letter that we see. Now, James is oftentimes referred to as the most practical book in the New Testament. And maybe other than Proverbs in the Old Testament, one of the most practical books that we see in the Bible. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that like for James, it feels like, like James's goal with everything he says is like, here's a practical application, hits you in the face with the truth of God's word. And, and, and there's no, not that there's any, any fluff or anything light in the Bible, but James is driven onto this of just truth after truth after truth. And here's what I mean by that. There's 108 verses in this letter. 108 verses, and contained in those 108 verses are 59 commandments that are given. So as James goes through, it's commandment, 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 and, and James doesn't hold back. James doesn't hold back. And what we see is we're going to read through this a little bit, and we're going to find out why, is that James is writing, helping people who are going through some difficult seasons. They're going through some difficult times. They're, they're facing some persecutions. They're facing some trials. They're facing some temptations. And so we're going to see all of that woven continually through the book of James, which is why, yes, James is a very practical book, but it's also dealing with an extremely serious matter in extremely serious circumstances. And so from the very beginning, what we see here for the book of James is growing in your faith, growing in our faith, in and through difficult situations. Let's look back at verse 1 again. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Right, so, so here's what's happening. So James writes, he introduces himself, he says, this is who I am, and then he addresses who he's writing to. And he says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, when we go back through and we look in Acts, right, so, so Christ uh, is raised, Christ appears, Christ is with his disciples, he's with them for some time, and then we see at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1 that he promises them the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of them, and then he ascends, and then the Spirit falls and, and inhabits all the believers, and what we see is in the early on of, of, of the book of Acts, Christianity forms, it organizes, and then it begins to spread. And it begins to spread rapidly. We see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, where we're not talking about a few people are coming to the Lord. You see those, but you also begin to see where thousands of men and women and children come to faith in Jesus Christ. Thousands. And it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. And in the spread of true, authentic Christianity in the book of Acts, Oftentimes, it's not met with acceptance, 
but it's met instead with resistance, and especially from the political and religious leaders of the day. So when you begin looking, you begin to see some of this kind of playing out early on in the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter and John stand before a, a Jewish council who threatens them to stop doing what they're doing, to no longer proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story of where we see where apostles are arrested. In Acts chapter 6, we see where Stephen, one of the first deacons who is chosen, is arrested. In Acts chapter 7, we see where Stephen is executed for his faith, brought out and executed And then in Acts chapter 8, we find out there's this man named Saul who God's going to do a wonderful, magnificent work in his life and transform him into the apostle Paul. But as Saul, apart from knowing Christ, he's given permission to hunt, arrest, and kill Christians. And this is the culture, this is the setting in which the early church is forming. And so what happens in Acts chapter 8 is many of the believers who were in Jerusalem at the time where all of these arrests, all of this persecution has taken place, they begin to scatter. And they dispersed to the areas in the country They dispersed to other towns. They dispersed to Judea and the Samaria. And so what James is doing in this is he's writing out to all of those who have faced persecution, all of those who are facing difficulty. And so this letter that we are reading is not written in a time where things are easy, simple, and peaceful. Instead, it's written to an audience who are receiving this as they go through some of the most difficult some of the most complicated, and some of the most frightening times of their lives. And it's hard for a lot of us to understand that. I was talking to someone this morning about what it means to minister um, to these individuals that are going to be at the Bible college that were there, and they've got men and women who are both there earning their degrees. And they, the question was asked, you know, do a lot of those, do, do all of those who come to the Bible college then go into ministry? And I said, no, actually, that, that's not exactly what happens. It's not everybody goes to the Bible college and then becomes a pastor and goes out and and starts a church. I said, a lot of times what what can happen in countries like this is that when a man or a woman comes to faith in Jesus Christ, not only do they walk away from the false religion that they've known, but their family then walks away from them as well. And so they're left without a support group. They're left without a place to stay. They're left without income. They're left without food. They're left with nothing. And so what the Bible college can provide as a place to stay, meals to eat, support and companionship from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and more importantly, discipleship to take place. So imagine in in, in being in this setting where, where, where things are difficult, things are complicated, things are frightening, and then James, what he's gonna do is in 108 verses, give them 59 commandments. Well, then I'm going to challenge you, James says, that in the midst of all of this, it's not about how to get that to go away, but it's how in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the temptations, in the midst of the terrible situations that you're facing of how you can grow, how you can come to know Christ more, how you can deepen in your maturity, how you can proclaim him to those who do not know him. 
and how you can glorify the name of Christ in your life. You see, he's not writing them saying, this is how you run away. He's not writing them saying, this is how you make this go away. No, no, no. James is writing them and saying, this is how you dig deeper in these moments. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. When Satan wins in our life, when Satan has these moments, he's already lost. He knows he's lost. He knows what Jesus has done. But what he loves to do is in these moments of our life to take these situations, to take these pieces and say, I may lose the war, but here's the battle that I'm going to grab a hold of. And where Satan wins is not when difficult, complicated, painful, uh, frightening situations come at us. But Satan wins when those difficult, complicated, painful, frightening situations drive us, number one, either into a spiritual hole where we isolate ourselves away from the Lord and growing in him, or when, we, when those situations drive us a wedge between us and God. That's when Satan wins. When we face the difficulties of life and instead of running to God, we run away God or we even oppose God. And that's when Satan wins. And so as James writes this, he's, he's driving them in to a deeper, more powerful, more authentic, more growing relationship with God, right? So, so when you think about this, the situation that you're facing right now, the situation that you face, the situa situation that is awaiting you, and I, and I want you to think about this, everything from criticism to cancer, right? Where Satan is going to win is when you push away from God and where God begins to see, where we begin to see the victory in God is when we begin to go through what we're seeing this morning is when we're asking, all right, God, how are you growing me in this? God, how are you growing me through this? And the situation is what the situation is. God, what are you doing in this? God, what are you doing in me and through me in this, right? And so we, 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 we understand and we believe and it's the manifestation of remembering that God doesn't say that he may work in these seasons and times. Right? That's not what God says. God doesn't say I may work in them. God says I will work. I am working in them, right? And so we need to cling to that. So diving into, looking at this, the first thing that we begin to see in, in three verses is, is maturing in faith. Maturing in faith. I want you to think about this. How would you define mature Christianity? Just, just think about it for a moment. How do, you per, how do you define what it looks like to be a mature Christian? Now, I think for all of us, we've got examples that, we've, that God's given us in our lives, and we look at the different aspects of them. We maybe see where we are growing and, and what matters and, and values to us. We may see those things, but, but think through it, because what James is going to do is James is going to give us a, a definition here of what mature Christianity looks like. Look at verse uh, 2, 3, 4. Count it all joy. Okay, you've just ran for your life. You've just had to flee everything that you know. What awaits you could be imprisonment or death. Your family has disowned you. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet 
trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So how do we count trials as joy? How do we get to that mindset where we take this word trial and we say, what is gonna come from this? What is gonna be a part of this? What it begins to stir up inside of me is not doubt, is not regret, is not fear, is not anxiety, but is joy. Now in this, James is gonna talk about two different kinds of trials. The one he's talking about right now, I wanna think is like outside trials, all right? It's the trials and the circumstances of life. It's the persecution and the difficulties that this world living in this fallen, broken world with fallen, broken people bring about in our lives. And then next week, we're gonna look at something different where this word is, is translated more into temptations or temptations for, for sin. But, but for this one, it's the persecution and the difficulties caused by others. Because I want to be careful that we're not confusing trials with the sinful acts and the sinful giving in to temptation that we've brought on ourselves, right? That we all face time and time again. It's not that. But it's the, the outside, the persecution, the, the, the living as a believer in the world that is broken. Now, joy is not going to be found in the persecution the joy is going to be found in the Bible, uh, in the battle. Because the battle, James says, will produce something. That trials will produce steadfastness. In one of my books that I was reading this week, there was quoted a theologian, William Barclay. And, and he says this. He said, it is not the, the patience, or this is not the patience or steadfastness that passively endures. That's not what he's talking about. I'm gonna give you a picture. Um, have you anybody ever watched watched boxing, right, or, or MMA or something like that, right? And you know that as the rounds are going on, there becomes the point in time where one person is winning, and it's really evident one person is losing, and the person who's losing isn't ready to tap out, and they're trying to figure out how can I just endure the punches until the bell rings. So I'm gonna run around, I'm gonna cover my face, I'm gonna duck, I'm gonna move. There's no offense that can come. I'm just simply in this, enduring this, hoping that this will end and end soon. And the truth is, when, pers uh, when persecution, when trials, when suffering come to you and I, that's how most of us face it. I just gotta get through it. I just gotta get through it. I just gotta have the strength to get through today. I've just gotta have this moment where there's nothing I can do other than get beat down and beat down and beat down and maybe tomorrow it'll be gone. And that's not what James talks about. James instead says that this steadfastness is the strength that enables a person to stand on their own two feet while facing the storm, right? It's hurricane season. Hurricane season's coming, right? Watching on the weather channel, seeing all of them. And I don't love hurricane season, 
But what I do love are videos sometimes that people take of themselves during hurricanes, right? And there's always that one guy who's out in the road, right? With no shirt on and cut off shorts, holding a flag as the storm hits him in his face, right? Yelling, woo, as it comes, right? Y'all seen those videos, y'all know who I'm talking about, right? They're standing in the face of the storm as it attacks them. And like, I'm not gonna hide. I'm gonna be right here in this moment. Now, I'm not encouraging that at all. Please let none of us find your video on YouTube or social media that that's you doing that, especially you, Grayson. Like, don't do that, right? That's not what this is about. But here's what it is about. What if you face tomorrow like that? What if you walked into work? What if you walked in to, to, to face your day with all that the world, with all that Satan wanted to throw at you, to cause you to put up your, your hands and just wait for the day to be over? But instead, you faced it head on, head up, eyes locked in on Jesus. We got this. We got this. There's nothing that can hold me down because I'm with Christ, right? This is the picture that, that, we, that, that James paints for us. And that in developing this steadfastness within us, that steadfastness itself does a work. The, the word that is translated comes out perfect and complete, but it's where we get the word mature. Mature. And that's what it means. That's what it means. I'll give this reference. My favorite boxer of all time. I know it wasn't real. It's Rocky. Right? Y'all are there. I cried when Apollo died, right? Now, this is where we're at in my life with Rocky. And what happens in that movie? When, when he's fighting Mr. T in Rocky III, theological moment for you, Mr. T's whooping on him, he's whooping on him, he's whooping on him, and then it flips. It flips. You see, because he trained himself for that. And what does he do? I can take another one. I can take another one. I can take another one. Right? And in the silliness of a pastor using Rocky III as an illustration, right, what we see is what the steadfastness of trusting in the spirit of God, of working through this, of developing the maturity that comes through with this. Right? And so when we face these moments, right, we begin to have a different mindset of, Lord, not get me out of this, but what we're going to see is, is asking a question, asking why am I facing this, right? Look at verses 5 and 8, we're going to see James talks about asking in faith, asking in faith. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. 
But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So he begins this with, if anyone lacks wisdom. All right, so this is not like, like, I don't know what the right answer is on the test. That's not what we're talking about. This is in context of facing the trials and circumstances of life. And so when we're, when we're in those, we're, we're asking God, God, give me the wisdom that I need to push through this. God, give me the wisdom of you to understand what you're doing in this and what you're doing through this. I, I find oftentimes that what we want is the clarity. What we want is for God to remove us, but what we need is the wisdom of God to help us understand the nature and the purpose of the trial so that we can live victoriously in and through the trial. And so James says, ask, ask, ask. Every morning, um, Joel Van Ham comes into my office uh, to pray for me before I preach and before he goes upstairs uh, with our youth. And I want to say 100% of the time, there ends up with the two of us being on a side conversation about something different, right? Like he comes and we do pray, right? But then there's this, there's this rabbit trail that, that we're going to chase, all right? And, and this morning, what we began to talk about as we chased this rabbit was the beauty of what it meant, right, when we were growing up to go to a toy store with your parents, all right? And so I was telling him what it was like for me. I loved, love, 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 love G.I. Joe toys. And any time we would go to Rose's, I would ask my mom, hey, can I go look at the toys, right? And then I would take off and I would go to the toy section at the North Augusta Roses. It was in the front of the store all the way to the far left. And I would go through all of the rows of the G.I. Joe toys, right? Just going through one after another, one after another, one another. Got him, got him, got him, got him, got him, got him. Don't got him, right? Got him, got him, got him, got him. Don't got him. And I would take the ones that I didn't have, I would take them down, and then I'd go hide them at the My Little Pony section, right? Because... If you're in the My Little Pony section, you're not in the G.I. Joe section, you're gonna leave those alone, right? And then I would go to my mom, right? And I would ask, can I get a toy? And what do you think the answer was? No, no. But I had about 50 minutes. And I knew that over the course of 50 minutes, I could wear her down, right? And so the conversation would usually go something like this. Well, mom, there's three that I don't have. Can I get one? No. But mom, I don't have these three. Are you sure? Can I get one? Can I, can I get all three of them? Mom, I need all three of them. I've got to have this. And for like 45 minutes, it was no, 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 no. But then I would do this. What about just one? My mom watches these. She's getting my secrets. But mom, what about just one? And she'd say, fine. Because my continual asking and asking and asking, finally she was like, good, just, just get the one. So, right? so I'd take off over there, my little pony section, I'd grab the one, head back, we're, we're good to go, right? right? So what does anything have to do with this? <laughs> when he says, 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And the word for ask here is a continual, a continual asking and pleading with the Lord. I thought about this this morning. My wife miscarried in June of 2006. And when she miscarried, we began to ask the question, God, why? What are you doing in this? God, why are we walking through this season? God, what are you trying to build in us? God, why? And I would like to tell you that the first time that we asked the question, we got the answer. But that's not what happened. That's not what, what, what took place in our life. And I bet you, as you've walked through these situations, it's not what's taken place in your life. But I can tell you now that in September of 2022, God in his grace and God in his kindness is continually giving us moments where he's answering the question, why? He answered it the first time in 2007, and he's been answering it ever since in his grace and in his kindness and his compassion. He answers the question, why? And so in this, as what James is saying, as you're walking through these, be the person who continually comes to the Lord and asking in faith for God to generously give us the faith to persevere, the faith to push through and to ask. But here's what we have to do. We have to acknowledge that we're not God and that he is. And that we have to set aside our expectation of what we want the answer to be. And we also have to set aside our expectation of what we think the timeline should be. Because he's God and we're not. And so James says, as you're walking through this, as you're going through these battles, or you're, as you're living in the effects of this broken world, that you're continually asking God in faith, why? And God in his kindness will answer you. Maybe not in the time that you want, and maybe not with the answer that you hoped for. But God and his kindness will show you the beauty of what he is doing in it and through it. Also, we begin to see that trials remind us who we are in Christ. James 9, 1, 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So James here paints a picture of two men from two different circumstances. One man is rich, one man is poor. And the world defines them as different, but the trials await both. For one man, his trial is his poverty. For one man, a trial is his wealth. And what we see is the poor man finds God's grace, 
Not in the fact that he wakes up every day hungry, that he wakes up every day poorly clothed, that he wakes up every day in, in poverty, but that his poverty reminds him that he's exalted in Christ. This poverty reminds him the trial that he faces every single day says that's not who your identity is. The trial reminds him that there's beauty and that there's riches that are found in Christ and Christ alone. So that when he sees that he is poor, he is reminded that he is rich in Christ. With his trial, this is what it does for him. So in his poverty, he, he boasts in his exaltation. But then there's a rich man, and the rich man finds God's grace and is humbling. And he's reminded that his pursuits and himself are not where his identity is, but they will fade and they will wither, and so too will he if he's not found in Christ. So every morning when he wakes up and he goes out to his field, and he sees the crops that have become green in the coolness of the night, but he feels the dry heat of the morning that blows over him, and instantly they begin to wither. It's the picture of his life, if not found in Christ and in Christ alone. So James says, let the poor boast in his exaltation. Let the rich boast in his humiliation as these trials teach them who they are in Jesus. Facing the trials that await us, they're there. It's about the manner and the mindset in which we face them. Three questions I wanna give you and then, and then we'll wrap up, right? As you face trials, Question number one to ask yourself, what is God setting me free from? What is God trying to set me free from? What is it in my life that is holding me to the pursuits and the pleasures of this world? And what is God trying to set me free from? And then secondly, what is God pushing me to? What is God pushing me to? What experience, what person, what opportunity awaits me as I walk through this and as I grow in this? What is God setting me free from and what is God pushing me to? And then lastly, and probably the most important, what is God teaching me about himself? That in it, what is God teaching me about himself? It's so nice and it's so wonderful when we learn things about who we are when we go through difficulties. That's a beautiful picture and a beautiful piece of what God gives us. But if all we learn is more about ourselves, we become the idol that we were supposed to kill. And so as we walk through these, our eyes are not fixed on the mirror that reveals ourself, but it's fixed on God. What is God teaching us about him. And let's read this last verse, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Let's go back to, to Acts. Acts chapter 8. Persecution comes. 
People were losing their life. People were being imprisoned. People's families were walking away from them. And they flee. They scatter. They take off. They go. And in that, we can view that as defeat. Well, this church was there. This church was growing. Thousands of people were coming to know Christ. And then the fear of death, the fear of persecution, the fear of being arrested overtook them and they scattered. But what happened? How did God use it? What did God do? You see, the story in Acts chapter 8 is not the story of the killing or the defeat of the church, but it's the story of the sending of missionaries. Men and women of faith who through the persecution, who through the pain, who through the suffering went. And you know what happened? The church grew. The people remained faithful. People came to know Jesus. And the gospel was taken to places it had never been before. And see, I believe on that day that Stephen was stoned and the church scattered. Satan said victory. 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 And God said, no. Watch this. And men and women of faith took the gospel to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How? Because they faced a trial and they kept their eyes on Jesus. How do you make it through the trials that you're facing? Do you isolate? Do you go and put yourself in a spiritual dark hole of sadness? Do you drive a wedge? Do you fight? And what builds in you is anger and resistance to the Lord. Or do you ask in faith and persevere? And what God's word promises us is that when we do that, what we receive is joy and maturity in Christ. We've all got our trials. Some of us feel like the poor. Some of us feel like the rich. Wherever you're at, God's working in all of it. Keep your eyes focused on him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the boldness of James. God, create within us the power of your spirit, a mindset that when trials come, it's not defeat. That when trials come, it's not sadness. That when trials come, it's not anger. But Lord, that we know that through it all, you are working and you are moving and you promise us joy and maturity. Lord, you say that we can ask you and that you'll give us wisdom and clarity in the circumstances to see how you are working and to see how you're moving. Lord, you don't promise us that we're gonna be immediately freed from it, but you promise us that you are there with us 
and that through the power of your spirit, we are capable to persevere. And that through the power of your spirit, Lord, you're working in it and you're moving in it and you're mobilizing us to be missionaries and spreaders of the gospel, people of faith and of encouragement and reminders of hope and of joy so that when the chains of this world try to shackle us and throw us in the dungeon of the prison, Lord, that's our physical reality, but our spiritual reality does like Paul, where we sing psalms of praise and prayer to you. Because we're not defined by the dungeon. We're not defined by the shackles. We're defined by Christ. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, we would know that the Spirit of God is working in us right now. Right now, Lord, through the difficult diagnosis, right now in the difficult marriage, right now with the difficult kid, right now with the difficult job, right now with the difficult neighbor, that, Lord, that you're working in it and you're producing something in it. And, Lord, may we stand in confidence as the storm approaches and not hide because we're not being held up by our own strength or we're being held up by the spirit of the Lord who is with us Jesus I thank you that when you ascended you did not leave but when you ascended you sent your spirit we live in the power of God. May we stop being passive Christians, covering our face from the blows of this world. May we stand in boldness of who Jesus is. In his name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.